My name is Derek Organzi. I'm Yassin Aslam. Yeah, my name is James Farrer. My name is Teresa Munchik. My name is Rebecca Stack Martinez. You're speaking to Faiza Haupt. I'm Anand Gute. Hello, my name is Bama Athreya, and welcome to this podcast, The Gig. The gig is about work and how it's being affected by technology around the world. But we're not talking about robots taking people's jobs. We're talking about apps becoming their bosses. And this season, we'll focus on the app that just about everyone has heard of or used at some point, Uber. You'll be meeting drivers from the UK, South Africa, India, even Cambodia, and finding out more about how, in the early days, they were attracted by the promise of partnership, of being their own bosses. Dear friends, welcome to Labor Radio Podcast Network profile series, highlighting the work of network members. The growing network of over 70 shows in four countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture. And we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Bama Athreya, of the gig podcast. So Bama, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and what led you to organize labor. Okay, sure. Thanks, Evan. It's really great to be speaking with you. Always a pleasure. Um, I grew up in Philadelphia and Philadelphia suburbs. And, um, you know, to be honest, my I think my my journey into the whole, you know, uh, this whole passion of on labor rights was a little bit sideways because I really got mobilized and energized about what was happening in the global economy when I was a child and my family are immigrants from India and we would go back to India not very often once maybe every three or four years to visit my grandparents and you know here I was from this nice Philadelphia suburb and we would go back to India and I would see kids right my own age um, and they were weeping, you know, in restaurants, and they were delivering stuff, and they were doing all kinds of work. And um, so actually, at a young age, I just like started asking these questions about why is the economy, you know, that at that point, not even having that vocabulary, but just like thinking, why is it that some of us get to live in these nice houses and go to school and get good jobs and others don't. And so really, you know, from there, it's like hard to pinpoint a particular moment, right, when it when it became about labor and labor movements. But I just feel like, you know, again, starting even at that age as a kid, asking myself, like, why there were all these economic disparities in the world really led me to start asking questions about the global economy. And so it's always been international for me, too, because I guess of that perspective of being an immigrant and, and having the chance to travel to other countries. Um, including India, uh, and, and realizing it wasn't just about what happens here or there. And that's how we kind of got introduced with each other. We both were and are in the international development arena. And um, same for me. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in, in Zambia and Southern Africa, and, and just seeing the disparity of wealth. And, you know, it, it really kind of woke me up to seeing poverty uh, unimaginable, at least in my experiences at that time in the United States. So um, I really, I, I totally agree, trying to internationalize the, the view of poverty and labor is, is a very important aspect. And that's what you are doing with the gig podcast. 
Um, but before we talk about your program, for those who may not be interested or aware of labor news, why do you think unions and organized labor are important and should be covered? Oh, I, you know, I think we really just need to have that counter narrative to this dominant, very corporate controlled media ecosystem that we're all living in right now. I mean, let's face it, right? People make, we now know billions of dollars, not just millions, but billions of dollars uh, off these mega media conglomerates. And they have an interest in telling the story a particular way. Now, I think stories are super important, right? People, human stories are super important. That's what moves us. That's what, you know, kind of creates change in the world. If we don't get the voices of working people into the narrative, right? Our stories, our, our friends' stories, right? Our comrades' stories, that dominant narrative is all that people hear. So, I mean, some of this is about the fact that we just need a network like this one to be telling the real stories of working people because that is what's gonna create change in the world. And could you talk about your show and why you actually wanna focus on this aspect and what it's about? Sure, so I've uh, worked you know, as a human rights, and really coming from a human rights perspective on documenting worker stories uh, and, and for worker rights advocacy around the world for a long time. And, um, you know, started really cut my teeth as a student activist in the anti-sweatshop movement in the 1990s, right? And at that point, it was like women workers in sports shoe factories making Nikes, right? I mean, those were the stories that I was um, recording and telling. And I was recording them not in a podcast sense, right? Not in a broadcast sense, but in a written sense. Like, let's document these stories. Let's tell people what's happening. And they said to me, like, we want you to tell people. Like, they're buying the stuff that we make. So we want you to tell people like what happens to us as we're making the stuff that you people are buying. So I started documenting those stories. Fast forward to last year. Um, I had for the past few years been super interested in the fact that I was, you know, continuing to work and travel internationally and everywhere I went, there was like an app for everything. It was crazy, right? I was going to like places that people hardly had mobile phones a few years ago and now everything was getting connected through an app. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Like, what's that mean? What is this gig economy? It seems like this shiny new thing, but what's it really like for the, for the men and women that work in it? Because um, it's one thing, right? Again, back to what you were just asking, like to get that story that comes across when you, you know, read the newspapers and, these stock prices for these companies are going through the roof and the, they're like these overnight billionaires in Silicon Valley from these, these platform companies. And, but no one was really like paying attention to, okay, but who, who actually works, you know, who, who gets jobs through these things and what's it like for them? So I thought, you know, I, I'm not convinced that it's really all that different for somebody who's like, you know, a, a driver or a delivery person in India or in the United States, how different is it really? So I thought I would just go, you know, run around the world and document these stories. And I loved the idea of doing a podcast and not a written set of reports because uh, honestly, I think it's important that people hear the stories in workers, you know, in, in the individual's own words. And there's something about a podcast, even though, of course, you edit, of course, you, you know, select the clips, but still, it's their words. I can't 
tell the story for them uh, when you're listening to their story. So that was what was really fun about documenting the stories in this way. And you met with drivers in the US, in Brazil, in the UK, in India. How do you identify these drivers and kind of walk us through season one of the gig podcast? Because you do build it in a way and it's incredible soundscape as well. And it's, it's very high end production and really appreciate it. And listeners definitely need to check it out. So can you talk a little bit more about just some of the things that you were seeing uh, or hearing from the voice of these workers? Great. Um, you know, this is what happened. I intended in the beginning when I started this project, right? So it was a little over a year ago. It took about a year to, um, to get it from, you know, start to finish. And I, thought I was going to document stories of gig workers generally, meaning people doing all kinds of work through platforms. And I didn't even know where to start. So I said, let me just kick myself out of the country and go somewhere and <laughs> start talking to people. So I uh, flew off to South Africa and um, just, you know, I had been to South Africa several times. So I had labor networks. I mean, I knew people in the labor movement there. So I wasn't starting totally cold. I, called up people I knew and I said, hey, you know, how do I start to talk to people who are working on these apps? And it wasn't just um, drivers, uh, but people who were working for cleaning services and, and other things as well. And, um, you know, so that's how everything happens. I think you ask somebody and they introduce you to somebody and then they introduce you to someone else. And, and so I started in a place once again, where I had some contacts. So it wasn't just all cold. Uh, but what happened over the course of the next several months that I did not expect is that everywhere I went, there seemed to be a story about Uber. And that wasn't the case like, you know, when I conceived of the project. But something was happening over the course of this past year where drivers in different countries were starting to find out what each other were doing. So I interviewed drivers in South Africa, uh, Uber drivers in South Africa. And I was just starting to learn that people were mobilizing and organizing the driver community in other countries. They knew more than I did. They were like, oh, yeah, we heard about that strike in Kenya. Did you read about the stuff in Brazil? And they were telling me, because they were tracking just on their news alerts and everything, the fact that drivers were organizing elsewhere. And um, unbeknownst to me that, you know, again, there was this real sort of groundswell. So that was super exciting. So I just decided that that was the story that I needed to track. And um, in that way, I was able to learn from people that I met who else was organizing and then go to them and ask them for, for time to, to tell their stories as well. And so that got me hopscotching to these countries and, and places that uh, I had not expected. Uh, and it was because there was this emerging network where drivers knew each other, or organizers at least in the driver community knew each other and were able to say, oh, well, have you talked to so-and-so? Yeah, I, I remember when I first heard about the gig podcast that that word started becoming ubiquitous almost like a decade ago, I think now, or it's just saying, oh, look at this great freedom for the worker to be able to, you know, be able to choose their hours and things like that. And over time, it's become a bait and switch and where people at the, in the very beginning were making decent money. And then eventually these unprofitable companies have been just kind of taking over the markets and, uh, this concept of algorithmic management that you talk about quite a bit, it's, it's something that is the future of a lot of, a lot of these companies trying to manage um, workers through an algorithm. And it's, 
in some ways highly undemocratic, but I, I do find a lot of hope in the, the gig podcast because there are these international networks being developed and, uh, and, and they're fighting back. So I, I really appreciate it. So looking at the Labor Radio Podcast Network, you're a member. Could you talk a little bit about how you heard about it and why you think it's important that uh, folks should check out the network and join the network if they're producing shows? I think it's a, it was a, such a find when I, and I can't even remember how I got connected. Uh, I don't, I can't remember if it was that uh, someone came across the podcast or, or if I came across the network first, but um, I was able to get in, I think, you know, in, in kind of the early stages and learn about how other people were both like just really taking the subject matter, right? The interviews that they were doing and what they were doing with them and hearing the stories and hearing the other podcasts, which was super educational. But what was also great is like all things, when you have a community that are committed to doing something together, right? That have a common purpose and are committed to helping each other. And that's what's great about it. Committed to saying, if you don't know how to do something or you've never done this before, or you need to reach out and, and you don't have a contact, we will help you. And so the network is, I think, a great resource for everybody in part because of what you and I were talking about before. It's a great resource for the general public everywhere because collectively, this entire set of broadcasts and podcasts tell really, really, really important stories. And no matter where you want to start, you know, in terms of like the very different range of, of, of broadcasts and podcasts that are available, you're going to learn something, you're going to learn something interesting, and you're going to be able to hear from workers in their own voice. So that's great. And I think for those of us, you know, if, if anyone out there is like thinking about, do I want to get involved with this network? If you have a podcast or a broadcast that is aligned with our you know, mission and our subject, the people are an amazing resource. And the stuff that we share, you know, even just in terms of a, things like events that are coming up, uh, resources that we've come across, challenges that we faced, it's been fantastic. Yeah, and I have so much gratitude uh, to you for introducing me to Chris Garlock and, and uh, that's how I found the network as well. And now I'm, I'm all in supporting it. So um, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? I am, you know, it's kind of a moment. So this, let's talk about this together, Evan, because, you know, I think both, neither of us have the answer to this. And uh, it, so it's an interesting thing to sort of think about. Is it the best of times or is it the worst of times? And it's usually both, right, at the same time. Here are the things that I think about as somebody who, you know, just get a little serious for a moment, right, as a kind of a, someone who's looked at these larger global economic trends for a long time. This is a time of unprecedented capital concentration. And that is a scary thing. And that's what the trajectory has been over the past decades of fewer and fewer people worldwide controlling ever greater amounts of resources of capital. So we've got this handful now of people who've like, have we hit the, I think we hit the trillion dollar mark, like a single individual has a trillion dollars? I, I think we're a few years away from it, but COVID has definitely accelerated it for many billionaires. Yeah, so I mean, we've got this moment where um, the world is, which is unlike anything the world has ever seen. 
So that's what we're up against. Now, what that tends to do, though, it does focus the mind, right? We, we have a problem, and it's a problem that we have got to solve uh, as a global community. It's, a, it's in our mutual interests as a global community to solve the problem of that, you know, unprecedented concentrated wealth and look at what we can do to really bring up everybody, everyone's living conditions, everyone. And there are ways we can do that. People have had ideas for how to do that, right? But you can't get anything to happen without solidarity and without collective power. So I don't think it's going to be easy. I mean, it never is. But I do think, you know, we do have this moment where it's really clear, really, really clear what the problem is. And that is a good starting point for really making sure that um, what we've seen in recent years, which are just waves of, you know, there really has been a groundswell of um, popular unrest in country after country after country. And for the most part, it's not about the type of government, it's about the fact of kleptocracy. I mean, that's something that we've seen, right? Doesn't matter if you've got a right-wing populist government or you've got a left-wing, you know, the fact is that, you know, people around the world are sick and tired of capital, corporations and, and concentrated uh, economic clout and power controlling their governments. And so the, the only corrective is like for all of us, I think, and it's not going to look like the labor movements of the past, in my view. I mean, I'm going to stop now because I want to see what you think about the same question, but I don't think it's going to look like the labor movements of the past, but I think these popular movements are a sign of yet more to come. I agree that we are in some of the most dire times of my life and of modern history. And I do see labor and organized labor as both a means and an end. I see it as a means to consolidate uh, and organize, educate, organize, and mobilize people to counter the, this extreme concentration of, of capital in the hands of a very few oligarchs. And it's, it's basically oligarchy. And, and the concept of oligarchy, you can read in Plato 5,000 years ago. So I think the idea of labor too, also, it raises class consciousness. Um, the, the fact that a lot of people have been taught to not think in class conscious terms, I think that is starting to erode and, and people are starting to come to the realization that there are different classes and there's working class and then there's non-working class and the working class is what is creating the value and all of the the gains in the system need to be more equ equitably uh, distributed through through this this working class essentially and that's a big part of it and i'm hopeful that we're not only going to consolidate uh the the labor uh, organized labor and both nationally in the United States and internationally. But I want to go on the attack. I think when you look a hundred years at a hundred years ago, there used to not be five day work weeks. There used to not be 40 hour work weeks. There used to be child, child labor laws and these type of things. I want to go on the attack. Why not have four day work weeks? Why not have 30 hour work weeks so that people can spend more time with their family in leisure. So not there, there's very, unfortunately, there's very few people that are working in jobs that they, that give them a lot of purpose and meaning. They do it because out of necessity, but everything outside of work is what 
oftentimes is what gives us value, family, friends, community, um, art, culture, and those type of things. And so my hope is that not only are we going to consolidate and, and work together and organize and educate each other and, and mobilize and then govern in a sense that we actually improve our working conditions for not just us, but for future generations. But it's gonna take the struggle of our, our lifetimes to, to get there. And I think labor history has given me a lot of hope that you know there's been tons of battles lost in the past, but we have also are not in slavery anymore, at least in, this, in, in our um, white collared uh, you know, circles and those type of things. Well, I mean, this does bring us back around, though, what you have said about, you know, I agree about going on the offensive, and I agree about asking for more, not just saying, oh, can we, you know, make sure we still don't have child labor, but, you know, going, going well beyond that to really insist on decent work for all of us. But I, I think this brings us around to, you know, talking about the show, the gig again, because we have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, exactly the bill of goods that is being sold by these platform companies, these gig companies, is flexibility. Oh, you only have to work as many hours as you want to work. You can have your family life. You can have, you can go take care of your kids, right? And then you can just work when your kids are in school. So they're selling this, um, you know, again, this false bill of goods that you can have all this great flexibility and, you know, not work so hard, when in reality, more than ever, uh, these platforms are turning people into wage slaves. So I just say that because I think we have to be mindful of the fact, and you know, I, I have said this elsewhere, that in a, in a re very real way, uh, the US is a submerging economy. Like you and I have worked around the world and we've, we've heard this term developing economies and emerging economies, right? Which where supposedly middle class is growing and people are getting more wealthy. We're going the opposite direction, right? Middle class is shrinking and hollowing out. People are now being forced into increasingly precarious work in these delivery jobs and driving jobs and, and care work jobs, right? And um, so I, I think we do have to go on the offensive. I, I just think though going on the offensive is gonna look different um, because, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll turn it back to you to see what you have to say about that because it's not gonna be about 35 hour work weeks. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think the, the brilliance of this so-called gig economy is trying to sell the concept of freedom. You're, you're more free as a worker, but it actually is the opposite of that. And the, the concept of wage slavery used to be well known. I mean, Frederick Douglass was writing about chattel slavery versus wage slavery and wage slavery, the hand to mouth existence that makes it impossible to have a, a democratic populace if you're, if you're with people with hungry bellies, essentially. Um, I, I believe that there have been markers put down in the Economic Bill of Rights, for instance, that was never passed in this country, but was at least discussed in 1940 in, uh, or 1944 in FDR's uh, State of the Union address. Uh, those are the type of things where I think can at least help guide us towards the horizon of what we need. But um, the algorithmic management is is real and it's it's growing because it's so profitable i read something today that california is going to use al algorithmic management for their court system to determine uh bail uh determinations and sentencing i mean that that's insanity but 
and California is supposed to be this, you know, left wing progressive state. And we all know that, you know, there it's a mixed bag, but that's kind of where I'm at. But I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful with um, meeting people like you doing such amazing work and, and hearing about the people struggling and uh, fighting uh, in your, in your podcast, the gig, the gig podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it's great to think about, because if, if not us, then who, right? So we need to think about what will it mean to organize in the face of some of these new challenges. And, um, you know, it's been a privilege, right, throughout the whole course of, of all of the meetings and interviews that I've done to hear what people think is important, people in the gig economy think is important. And um, so I do want to say, I, I think, it's interesting to think about some of the, the concepts that we have had for well over 100 years, like seizing the means of production. Um, what does it mean in today's economy if we really want to give power back to workers, if workers want to take power back for themselves? What does that mean and what does it look like? And uh, one of the things that is super fun, and, and people should go listen to the podcast if you want to learn more about this, is, is the idea that data is, in fact, the new oil. And so the, the one thing that, you know, workers that I talk to and, and some of them, again, you know, you can hear directly from them on the podcast uh, about what they can do to seize the means of production is taking back control of their data. And that would be huge. I, I absolutely agree that data is everything and it, it's going to take legislation. It's going to take actually controlling the halls of power in our so-called representative democ democracy. So I think that's, that's gonna be an essential component is not only organizing the workers to, to band together in, in the private sector, but then to come together and, and have people who understand the gig economy to run for office and uh, be able to legislate more fairly and, and to protect workers. Appreciate all the all the expertise you bring. You know, seeing you as a professor, even. <laughs> when I first uh, yeah, I'm actually trying to fire up those students, man. We're gonna be doing a lot of discussions of patriarchy and capitalism in that class, right? Because it's yeah. the whole intersection of gender and labor. So yeah. it's all that. But you know, honestly, I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way about the labor movement that I do about the Democratic Party. Like they're a mess. Yeah. I, I'm not. I I just like it's not about waiting for organized labor to get its shit together. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the organizing labor is, is we got, then we got to do it, right? Like, no, that's the whole you know, thing, that's, right? So we just got to do it. If not us, you know, who, if not when, or if not now, then when, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but I agree, yeah, that, <laughs> like, all these old institutions are, need to be, you know, shaken apart and dusted off and rebuilt, so. They really do. So let's see what happens because I also feel like we've got this whole generation now that are, you know, the generation below us that are coming into crap jobs, knowing that they basically have no potential for advancement unless they are among that lucky few that make it through the window, right? And like, you know, you gotta think, like I I've had a good career. I've been, you know, advanced. I've gotten promotions. I've gotten yeah. increasing pay over the course of my, you know, my career. If that doesn't exist anymore and people don't have that pathway, like, yeah, it's, there's going to be some major mobilizing that happens and it's not going to look like the same old labor movement. Yeah, no. And I, I feel the same way. Like, I'm, 
you know, I saw the crash and was just coming online like in 2001. And, but, you know, USAID and a nice government job allowed me to put a roof over my head and buy a house, yeah. and these type of things and yeah. do a bunch of savings. So the last, you know, many months I've been able to kind of focus on my passion, which is, you know, activism and these type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, and then another part of that I was thinking was like, a lot of people haven't seen a productive economy, right? So I grew up in Midwest and all my dad's friends were like in the steel and my father was a PhD in aluminum anodizing and the, the means of production isn't just service economy. And if China wants to turn off, I mean, they're the sweatshop of the world, but, and it's moving to other places, but China is an issue. Like China as a management of the global economy and how they manage the global economy is going to, go into the United, it's already going into the United Nations, the WTO into, and their influence, um, as bad as the United States has been, especially over the last 20 years with all the war, or the last 50 years with all the wars of imperialism and other things, it's like, we have a better fighting chance here than in China or Russia mm-hmm. for that matter. And so, mm-hmm. um, but we have to bring the means of production back and but do it environmentally sound with labor rights. And, you know, in some ways I believe in tariffs if, um, Oh, it's oh. not not the way Trump, oh. but you don't allow slave goods to come in and dump into your economy. You you allow your work. It's not a race to the bottom runaway shop. You know, it's just yeah, bastardized the word tariffs, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, right. A free trade. So the, the whole trade liberalization has been the bane of like everything. <laughs> so Vama Atreya, thank you so much for uh, your time and uh, everyone should check out the gig podcast. Thanks, Evan. Great to talk to you.